I don't know if I truly appreciated the impact of Robin Bokra's leadership within our community until this past winter. In November, I did a roundtable discussion with five other collectors about the Clone Wars character Ahsoka Tano. In our conversation, we shared how and why each of us became an Ahsoka collector, and how many of us have become friends through collecting. It was an episode that the six of us enjoyed making together. The discussion was at times funny and touching, and we were all proud of it, in the sense that it highlighted what we felt were some of the best aspects of our hobby and community, and of Star Wars storytelling. Clifton Boggs, one of the roundtable participants and a dear friend, posted the episode in an Ahsoka-focused social media group. We were excited to share it with others who, like us, had an appreciation for the protagonist Dave Filoni created. Within about 10 or 15 minutes after Clifton posted it, the group's administrator commented about the episode. At most, she listened to a few minutes of the podcast, and since it covered areas of the community that didn't necessarily interest her, she basically told the rest of the Ahsoka group that it wasn't worth their time. We were all taken aback by her comments. As the head of the page, people respected what she had to say, and they listened to her. And instead of showing support for the episode, even on the most superficial level of an encouragement, she buried it without ever giving it a chance. When it happened, I wasn't offended. I was concerned for my friends, because I did not want her comments to mar what had been a wonderful bonding experience for us. But my friends all have thick skin, and we laughed it off together. But a larger concern was for those in the group who were maybe new to the page, or to the community itself. I wondered how many people received the same treatment we did, and whether it had discouraged them from participating in discussions or sharing things they created. I wondered how many felt the door shut in their faces before they ever had a chance to fully enter the room. And I wondered how many left the group out of frustration, believing they would never truly belong. I think my friends and I realized how good we have it in our Star Wars collecting groups. There are times in which discussions heat up, and some of us do not see eye to eye on things. But for the most part, there is a level of respect that pervades each of the groups of which we are members. And that is an amazing thing. The admins in the vast majority of the collecting groups are incredibly supportive, and often work hard to keep others engaged and connected. We're really blessed in this sense. And someone who has always been an example of leadership through encouragement and edification is Robin Bokra. Robin is an administrator and co-founder of the vintage collecting group Bespin Prime. The group is open to all collectors and fosters discussions around Star Wars toys and collectibles of the 1970s and 1980s. And every Monday is Modern Monday on the page, where collectors can share modern prototypes and production pieces, really anything from 1995 and beyond, from their collections. Over the years, something about the way Robin leads stood out to me. She and the admins comment on almost every post a member makes. It's not done because the admins need to see themselves all over everyone's posts. Rather, it's a way to connect, a way to say to the person posting, I hear you. I like your passion for our hobby, and I'm glad you're part of us. For Robin, that kindness and the sense to connect with others is simply part of her. 
It's wired into her DNA, and our hobby is all the better for it. She puts so much time into helping others and to helping many of the newer collectors become acclimated to our collecting community. She's also one of the funniest people I know. And her collection is pretty amazing, too. This is Six Stories with Robin Bokra. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Robin and I have a lot to get to, so let's jump right in. Before we begin our conversation, I thought I'd share a few things about Robin and a few memories I have from our adventures together. And since this series is called Six Stories, I present to you six facts about Robin. She and her husband are both doctors. She is the mom of a beautiful baby girl, who I assume will be a Star Wars fan very shortly. As a young girl, Robin dressed up as Princess Leia in her Endor gear for Halloween. She's been a collector since the toys were still on pegs at stores like KB Toy Hobby in New Jersey. She has a life-size Han and Carbonite block in her basement. And she has participated in collecting panels at conventions like New York Comic Con and ICCC as an ambassador of our hobby. And here's six quick memories I have from spending time with her. Getting lost in her basement three different times in the same day. Walking to Waffle House together with 20 or 30 collectors after a late night room sales during the Cincinnati Toy Show weekend and watching a drunk driver plow into the telephone pole where we were supposed to have been standing. Listening to her recount a story from one of our ICCC Nashville events that made me laugh so hard, my face was still sore the next morning. Sitting at a barbecue restaurant in Pennsylvania and trying not to get sauce on our new toy pickups from the Zolocon show. And seeing her for the first time in eight months since the pandemic began, and hugging one another as we tried not to breathe anywhere near each other. As I said earlier, I'm looking forward to speaking with Robin, so I won't waste any more time. I will say, though, life can be challenging at times, and it can be tough. Robin has a knack for making things a little more fun and a little more exciting. She's currently on her way back from the planet of Coruscant, and I'm on my way there now. So we're going to call one another while we're in flight. Galactic Senate meetings, they're pretty plentiful in the Star Wars universe. There's an extra seat in my ship if you would like to join me. I just have to load my belongings and we'll board. I can't wait to hear which six stories Robin decides to share with us today. 
Robin. Hey, David. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I am most excellent. It's always good to hear from you. So I, uh, I've been dying to do this with you. Uh, just when I came up with the idea of six stories, you were just one of the first people that I thought of. Uh, I thought it would just be fun to, to have a conversation. Um, I've been fortunate enough to see your collection in person, and I absolutely love it. And uh, I, you know, I thought it would be just fun just to, to cover a few of the, the items that you've been fortunate to pick up over the past few years. Yeah, you know, when you asked me to do that, it actually, I'm like, oh, gee, that'd be easy to pick six things that have a lot of meaning. But sometimes I feel like they volley between items over time. And so I really had, I thought it was going to be easy, and then I went around and I was like, you know, it's not as forward as one would think because certain pieces, most people would say, you really, that, 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 you feel, okay. And, sure. you know, I've come to six. I mean, I could give you 20, but these six just, they, they feel, they, they feel good when I look at them, when, when, I, when I hold them, when I move them around in the cabinet or to another cabinet, and it's like I feel like I want to always give them special placement. It's not for anybody except me. I mean, this past, you know, year and a half, nobody's been here, so my collection really has been really just about Every it's all been for me. It hasn't really been for, you know, to show or describe or talk about any of this overall. So, when was the last time that you um, that you had people over to your home, uh, collectors? Mm. When was the last time somebody was here? Was it was it us? Was it the, the Empire State Club when we came to visit? That was the last, I think, official kind of meet up when everybody did stop by and hung out here for a couple of hours and I know everybody then had like two and three hour large home. So I yeah, I would have to say when everybody stopped by here, I might have had like a small get together of like two or three people coming over for like pizza and ice cream. But yeah, I think officially that was it, David. Oh my gosh. That I think that was I'm going to say November of twenty nineteen. I think Ross's was the last time we all met up. No, I meant met up at your house. At my house, yeah. I was going to say it's the last meetup. Yeah, that was the last time any any group of people were here. And then kind of like all hell broke loose. With like two months later, everything was kind of locked down. And then that was it for get-togethers, yeah. Yeah, and I, as you mentioned, um, Ross's house, I know we've spoken about that in the past. For us, I don't think, you know, it was a very special day. It was, you know, one of my favorite days personally, you know, for, for collecting. Um but I don't think any of us had any idea how important that day was because a month later the quarantine hit. I know. And at least so many of us did make it there to be together and to laugh and have a good time. It really was it really was special, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so fortunate. I feel so fortunate to have those days uh, and to have been able to be a part of it. So, and I'm glad we, you know, we had a chance to uh, to hang out there. And I met uh, now a good friend of mine, F.J. DiRobertis, through you. So, I know F.J. is my buddy. I've known him now uh, since I did the that series, Our Stories, and I met him through uh, Jordan Hembro. And F.J. lives, you know, here in Jersey, and it's just been. It's been great having him because he's so positive. Like, he's happy and positive, and he's always laughing. I can just look at him and just start laughing, 
and I, and nothing has been said, and you could just start laughing, and it's like, what the hell are you laughing at? And it's like, and then it's like, and then it gets funnier, and you don't even know what you're laughing at. <laughs> and then before you know it, you're like, your flies are You know, barns, barns open, come on. Yeah. She's here to take the drink order, that's it. You know, everything else, you know, just falls <laughs> by the wayside. You you mentioned Our Stories, um, the, the video yes. series. Could you just explain what that was for people maybe who haven't seen it yet? Well, I was asked to discuss and share and go over things that were meaningful in my life and how Star Wars influenced my life to where I am today. And this was filmed through Lucasfilm, who had come over, and uh, they filmed for the weekend. And they put together, it actually, they, they filmed for like hours of footage, and it came together for like a seven or eight minute compilation little video that they played on StarWars.com. And they invited a couple people to discuss and talk how Star Wars influenced to put them where they are today and how it meant something when they were growing up. And for me, you know, I grew up, I was born in 1972, and Star Wars was a huge part of my life. It always was science fiction, science, and the majoring in science in college led me to become a doctor. So always loving science and loving science fiction really was the, the stronghold in my life to putting me where I am. So it was the most influential thing in my life, the most. And growing up with that, and I played Star Wars every day growing up with the kids on the street, so it only cemented that even further. And then when the movies were gone, I then was still collecting the toys, you know, into the 80s. And every year of my life, I've been buying these toys consistently, you know, at flea markets and toy shows and no matter where. And, you know, I I was asked to talk, and it was a big deal. And then FJ was on it, too, and then we met. At Comic-Con, we had to do a panel to promote it before it was going to be hitting the Internet. And when we were there, it's just we just started laughing. I'm like, what are you laughing at? Immediately you start laughing and we're giggling. And I'm like, oh, my God. So from day one, it's just like he's just such a – he's it's, it's, it's so easy to just be around him. And he's just – he's great. So I'm lucky that I've met him through through that process. Yeah, and for me, meeting him – um, the, the you know at Ross's house right before the the pandemic really hit um, was great you know because we've developed a friendship over over the the course of the the quarantine so you know and, and again that was through you uh, connecting us so that was really nice. SJ is also really good. He was my mule. He stole a couple things at Ross's house. I don't think Ross ever. <laughs> ever so hopefully nobody listens to this podcast here so it doesn't get out. But FJ was really good. That knapsack was, like, full, like Santa, like, by the time he left, and it was awesome. So I don't even know. I haven't even bothered looking at all that crap yet. But I know it's somewhere, like, in a closet. Someday I'm going to go through it. I'm going to say it's probably, it's probably expensive. Well, it's the mark so of a true friend, me, though. Okay? No, stealing okay. stealing from somebody else's collection to help your collection is a wonderful thing. So very and nice. Really Good job, SJ. He's like giving the whole year so close. Uh, we didn't take anything of Ross's, but we could have. <laughs> we could have. He doesn't lock we could things have. up. Yeah. We could have. Yeah. I was gonna take the couch downstairs. I was like, that looks comfortable. Uh the trampoline. I was I was fond of the the, the small trampoline in the in the house too. I like that. Oh, yeah, that's fun. It's fun to jump around on if you're nude, you know. 
And there it is. <laughs> I mean, I've right. been told. <laughs> Probably. Are we supposed to be talking um, about toys? Yeah, so before we get into your six stories, um, I have mm-hmm. just uh, a quick six uh, questions for you uh, that I've come up with that I just, you know, I wanted to, to know, and, and hopefully it'll, it'll um, help people to understand a little more about you. Um, what is your favorite scene, or what is a favorite scene from any Star Wars film? My favorite scene actually is the first scene that I remember from a child of the films, which is when Luke and Leia swing across the chasm on the dust, at the Death Star, and she kisses them for luck, and they swing. You know, you have to realize I wasn't even five. That came out in May of 77, and I saw it first run at the Twin, uh, the twin Cinemas in Menlo Park opening weekend, and I was not even five yet. But it was so memorable that I remember that scene of them swinging across that all all the years of my life, whenever I think of the films, I see that scene. So that is imprinted on me for that is Star Wars for some crazy reason. Uh, Because I think it's fantastical, right? And it's it's magical in the the same sense. It's slightly romantic. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's true adventure. Well, we didn't it know is. that at the time, right? I know. Keep it in the family. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you are somebody who, anytime we get together, uh, you know, we usually, in the middle of a toy show, we'll just kind of pile into a restaurant and then we'll pull out bags of stuff that we've purchased and, and you know, show each other. And every time you've done that, you've always, um, you've always, helped me to see certain items, certain action figures, toys in, in a different light as a result. Um, if you were going to show a particular piece to somebody, is there is there a, a feature within a Star Wars toy or vehicle or a playset um, that you see as being innovative, you know, ahead of its time or, or something that was really creative that stuck out to you uh, that either you appreciated as a, as a child or as an adult collector? Hmm. If I was to buy, like, another toy, let's say a Millennium Falcon, which means quite a bit to me growing up because that was my favorite toy as a kid, I would say, you know, this toy had two purposes. This toy was, of course, the Millennium Falcon, which was like a big ship, and it was Han Solo's ship, and it was the good guy's ship. And also at the same time, you can throw all your figures in it, put the lid on, you know, the top thing, and then you mm-hmm. snapped it close and then you took off with it. So it was like a carrying case also. So it had like that purpose. So I that's never like really what I was the like, you know, It was like a car- it was like an early carrying case that I could just throw everything in, like all the figures would be thrown in and then I could take up off the street to go visit my friend Marty. And then I'd have everybody in there, and I'd dump them all out. Then you could, like, pose them in, in the carpet back when everything had carpet. So the feet yes. would go in, in the carpet, and you could stand them up. And then you'd set up the Millennium Falcon there, and it's like, bam. All right, set up. <laughs> so yeah. that's, a, that's another thing. The Millennium Falcon, for a lot of us, was a carrying case. It was something where, you're right, I never really thought of it, that's but we would just throw our figures into it. That, there, that had a functionality to it. For carrying things. Hmm. 
So that's yeah. that's kind of like how I how it was for me when I was seven. You know, you're talking nineteen seventy nine when I was in my heyday already. Seventy eight to seventy nine, that's when everything really ramped up for me in in the I was old enough to get it. And that's when the toys really started to become an integral part of our daily life. But to be honest with you, David, I did not play with the figures and the ships as much as I collected them. I collected them, but we played Star Wars. I lived in the woods. So we lived in a cul-de-sac in, like, a wooded area. So the 14 mm-hmm. houses that were there, there were just a couple kids, and we would play every day. We'd be running around the woods. So in the winter, it was hot. And then in the summer, it was Dagobah. So I didn't play with the toys as much as other kids did to say, oh, my God, you don't know how many times, you know, I would play with the, you know, the X-Wings and the TIE Fighters. I'd say, yeah, you know, we had them and we played war a little, but we'd get tired and bored, and then we wanted to play Star Wars ourselves as characters. So then we would take off with our, our blasters or the rifles, and then we'd run around the house or you know, run in the basement and run outside. And so that was fun. I remember my friend Marty had a picnic table in back of his house. And it was just a real plain old, you know, picnic table with the benches on either side of the table. Mm-hmm. And Marty and Alan, Alan was across the street from me. He usually played Han, and Marty was always Luke. And they would sit back to back underneath and pretend it was a <laughs> snow speeder. Oh, really cool. So, it mimicked the snow, snow speeder, so they would get underneath, and then they would, you know, talk out all the lines from that scene with Dex, and then they'd crash, and then, like, Luke would have to, like, crawl out from underneath, and then, you know, suddenly Alan would, you know, the Alan Walker would come down, and Alan would get crushed, and then I, I'd have to, like, make the sounds for Alan dying, so it was always tough, but <laughs> it was so much fun, and so we would play that. We would expand on the movies, expand on just the toys. We became the toys. We And everything around us was in some way a part of the film, and we would even just increase the storyline. And we had a lot of fun. I know what you mean. My, my grandmother made me um, a Luke Jedi costume out of uh, black velour, and she and my grandfather, they had owned a, um, a textile uh, company, so they would they would make fabrics and um, and the suit was absolutely incredible. And it, it, it you know it, it came with the the hooded cape and you know I had like the Return of the Jedi belt and the boots and the you know the the black glove and a lightsaber. And I would just run around my parents, uh, run around my house and run around my grandparents' backyard, um, pretending that I was Luke Skywalker and just continuing the stories after Return of the Jedi. And you felt like Luke Skywalker, like you felt like if I concentrated enough, I could move this rock or I could move that fork or I could move it. And you were just waiting for the superpower to just hit you. And the force never hit you, but it could have come any day. Yeah, and and even when it didn't, right, our imaginations would would make those rocks move anyway. You know, and that was a very special thing. I've seen you at the table when you're reaching for the fork and you think the fork's (laughs) going to just slide across the table. I've watched and it's going, going to one day. <sighs> I have 40 years. You are awesome. You are. Uh, okay. Uh, what, is, what is a Star Wars piece that you would like to own someday? 
Well, it wouldn't be a toy because toy-wise, toy-wise, it, it ends up being monotonous and boring in some ways because I see a lot of the same toys that come up and things that I really wanted, and when they come up now, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. Hmm. The props are the things that are really starting to weigh on me, and, of course, I'm jumping in on the bad wagon late on that, but if I could own anything, I'd like to own more items from the original trilogy. Almost any one. There's none in particular that, I, that I'd like that, I, that has come for sale. It would just have to hit me, maybe a, a helmet or a costume or a blaster, something like that, just a piece. That's probably the thing that will, will be my next big thing that haunts me to get is something else from the film. Not necessarily a, a production line toy or even a pre-production toy. It would probably be something really really expensive and substantial like that that, I, that you just can't duplicate, a one-of-a-kind item. There's no reason for somebody to let something go from their collection. That's why a lot of these pieces don't really come up for auction because they're, they are sentimental. They're emotional. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's owning a piece of your childhood, owning it permanently. It, the time stands still. You know, we're aging. We're getting older. You know, I'm 48. I'm going to be 49 this year. So as time marches on, you see these, the memory of it can become sweeter. And then the item, if you could actually own that item, that's when your time does stand still while you're holding it because it's right here and it's real. It's not a two-dimensional thing on the screen. It's three-dimensional, and here it is. And while it may be chipped up and dirty and maybe look really fake because it looks so real on screen, this is that item. And then you have it, and it's just it brings you back, and suddenly you are young again. And it's, 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 it's the transporter back to our childhood. So that's why so many of the, the props are so rare to come up because nobody wants to let them go, even if they can get large amounts of money for it. It means more to them to hold on to it for that exact reason. It, it means something. I'm so glad you expressed that because I, I think a lot of, you know, especially right now where prices for everything has, has have gone through the, the roof, but um, I, I think there's something really special in the idea that a lot of these props, because once they start hitting, you know, these these really expensive values, tens of, of thousands of dollars, sometimes hundreds of thousands or millions, um, people look at them, they tend to look at them more as investment pieces. And, and I think for, you're right, for a lot of us, there are pieces that connect us to our childhoods and to the, the magic of storytelling through films like Star Wars, um, which which have impacted our lives immensely. Uh, you know, in, in your career and in my career as well, too, I mean, we, we've spoken about this in the past. The, Star Wars has such um, had such an impact on on what we do, on the way that we look at the world, on uh, you know even just expressing things like like creativity and um, and connecting to others and and uh, things like design. And as you said, you became a doctor because of these science fiction movies. Oh, definitely. Whenever I meet somebody and I find out that they like science fiction or Star Wars in particular. I know this seems shallow, but I automatically like them. I'm like, I like you. <laughs> Why don't 
don't even know who you are. But get out of my way. But I like you. You're Star Wars guy. <laughs> yeah, you still got to get on the escalator ahead of me. Keep going. Keep going. But there's a there's there's a connection that just comes with that, and I think that's one of the real special things that we've had in our community is that regardless of kind of who we are, where we come from, anything like that, um, we we can get into a room and we can we know that we have Star Wars as our unifier, you know, and as our standard, and we can talk about that for hours uh, without even really getting to know one another first. Oh, yeah, because you could come from <clears throat> any background, any part of the world, anywhere, and be of all different ages. But if the, the commonality, the common denominator, the common language is Star Wars, and it's that love for it, and we all see it from, like, a different angle. We all have a different take on it. We all have a different love of it. Some people love the movies. Some people love building droids. Some people like making costumes and doing their cosplay. Some people like collecting toys like, like I do. I mean, there's so many different angles of liking it, but we all like it. So we're all the facets of the gem. The whole the gem is Star Wars, and it has a million facets. And, there, and each one of us make up that edge of this myth, this thing that we have created that's bigger than life. It's bigger than the movies. And it's the world around it. The community of people is what make it what it is today. I mean, they were good yeah. films, but they they were more than those films because it was a generational thing that now still holds people together, and we find each other, you know, through it. And then we come together because of it. And all of us have a different angle of it, of how we like it and what we like about it. So it, it is, it's, that's why I always kid around about how the force is real, because you feel it through somebody else. And then you feel their, their love and their passion, and you can, it warms your heart, and it makes you feel alive. And then it's just, it's the greatest bond I have. I have no brothers or sisters, uh, but I feel like I do. And... I feel closer to some people in the community than I think I probably would with other people in my family. Sure. Like I just sure. feel closer to them. Like that. I could talk to them about anything, and they're not judgmental. Some people are. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll leave those people out. But yeah, <laughs> on the whole, when you, when you talk to your friends, they're they're you just you're, you're talking on a level, and they they get you immediately, and you, you feel more comfortable. Yeah, and that's something that I, I always try to stress on the podcast that there's something about these bonds that are that are so special. Uh, and I think for us right now, not being able to be together in person, you know, we've been, we've done a great job on, on Zoom and, and on, you know, social media and on these different platforms of really kind of staying together, but not being able to, to do these meetups and not being able to be together and have these in-person experiences and build these memories uh, is something that I think we're missing, right? And... Um, so my next question would be to you, uh, what is a favorite personal memory from a past event, a past in-person event? My favorite, one of my favorite personal memories from a past event. What kind of an event? You mean just like a, like a toy show? A toy show, a collecting event, um, uh, a meetup at a person's home, 
uh, convention, anything like that. A collector really. Well, you know, event. I actually got to meet Felix Sola, who you guys know is like one of the the flying Ewoks. He was one of the Ewoks, and he's more known as he was Tweaky from Buck Rogers. So he was in that little metal suit. He was also Cousin It from the Adams Family. Oh, wow. So <clears throat> he was born in Italy, nice man, small man. Uh, gosh, I, I'm five foot one, and I, I guess I'm about a foot and a half taller than him. He's perfectly proportioned, though. So I stand next to him, and uh, I, always, I always feel tall for him. But every time I see him, we become actually very good friends, and we talked on the phone, and I'm now friends with some of his family members. And he lives out in Vegas, but he comes to New Jersey quite a bit, and he does conventions. And we met at one, and we just started talking, and talking and talking and talking, and he's just so interesting and so fun. So I ended up seeing him at another convention, and then I, he wanted me to sit with him, you know, in between autographs and talks. I was there for like four hours, and we had lunch, and we were just having so much fun talking about things and movies. I mean, he's done, he was on the first episode of Star Trek before William Shatner took over the part. There was another, there was a pilot episode, and oh, wow. he wasn't the captain. He was in that one. He's done so many different things. It's crazy. And, I've, you know, getting to know him is great. I mean, I can just call him, and he picks up. And we just pick up from where our last conversation was. That's really special. And that's kind of cool. Wow. Uh, that's really it's, – it's always nice to hear, and it's amazing that – the, the connections that we build where it's even more than just with collectors. Um, yeah. So meeting him actually has been just neat, you know, talking to him about the filming, talking to him about, you know, wearing the, the Ewok costumes, how hot and itchy they were, <clears throat> how you couldn't sure. see, how difficult it was. And it's just fun because he was there, you know, he was there through so much of, TV and movie that, you know, he's, he's a little bit of a, a legend himself and, and so to say. So, and it's just, it's just cool that I get to know him. So meeting mm. people through this that were a part of it that are interesting beyond being a part of Star Wars, they're actually, they're, they're very nice people. You make friends that way. And, you know, again, it's, we have things in common, you know, as a physician, I know a lot of physicians, but it's, I sometimes find it's very hard for me to make conversations with other doctors, but it's easier for me to make conversations with people that are in the industry of film and makeup artistry and producing and all the, all of that, or writing, or you know even to, you know the toy collectors. I just I have so much more in common because. That's like the artistic aspect of our minds that that have all come out, and that's that's kind of interesting. We all have it, but a lot of us don't cultivate it, or we don't know how to express it. Sometimes too. I mean, that's no, we don't. You know, yeah. I've always been really touched by the the level of kindness that you show others and show others consistently and on a daily basis. Um, so, can you share a moment when someone 
maybe recently did something kind for you and, and repay that kindness? Gosh. Uh, you know, my buddy Mike Esposito is always look on the lookout for me for things. And he sends me items that he thinks I could use for my collection. So he had gotten me a uh, a mail-away uh, manila envelope. It's like a small little envelope. It was like a mail-away for like, like the Kenner... Uh, it was like a Kenner pack. And I didn't have any figures. And he gave it to me, and now he just sent me all the little baggied figures that went in it. It's for the... Uh, the uh, Bespin chamber, the carbon freezing chamber, all the little figures. So it was like yeah. a mail away mailer bag with the name still on it. And then he just sent me all the little figures that are all still sealed. And, you know, they're just like little gifts and stuff. He's like, well, now it's complete. And uh, hmm. Vicki Bitter, who knows I, you know, I love Kenner so much. She's found other little things that are from that era that were Kenner toys. And she sends them to me just because to see that little tiny Kenner symbol and the LP on, on certain items, it just, it, it warms my heart of it takes me back to that time, to the late 70s. And she finds these things because she's right outside of Cincinnati. So that's, you know, Kenner country. <clears throat> and they find these pieces that are still in excellent condition that you know were could have been giveaways through the through uh, you know the the main office there because they did give away a lot of things to schools and to kids back in the late seventies and early eighties they would give things out so there was boxes of things that were shipped out and would go to schools go to kids so these things are still around that are were don't even have price tags on them and they're still perfect so and they find them and. They're both very generous, and they send me things that I have never seen or, you know, I didn't even really even consider having, and now they're mine. So the two of them are are very generous. Yeah, Uh, both of them are great. They're wonderful, and I'm I'm hoping to see them at some point, uh, either at a a show at some point soon or uh, hopefully at Cincinnati this year as well, too. If if you could have dinner with anyone, any real life person connected to the Star Wars universe, who would it be? Hmm, that's hard. Oh gosh, you know that's so hard because it probably would have been Carrie Fisher because she was really good at storytelling. Mm-hmm. And she was very funny and very frank about so many things. And she, you know, she didn't mince words. She just came out with it. So I wish it could have been her. You know, I would say George Lucas, but I I, I kind of, I have gotten so many mixed signals on how much he would want to talk about Star Wars and the stories of. So I don't know whether going out to dinner with him, he would want to, and I wouldn't want to irk him. So I wouldn't necessarily want to ask him about things where, you know, he would feel uh, upset because, you know, people have been hard on him over the years for re-editing his own films and and his take on, you know, some of the new films. So 
while I would love to have dinner with him and, you know, you know, totally talk his ear off and make totally inappropriate jokes all night long. <laughs> uh, you know, it would probably, I'm, I'm going to go with Carrie Fisher, but she's gone. So I, I know that. But, but that's okay. I, I think, honestly, no, no, that, that that's a really good one. And to be honest with you, if I could be a fly on the wall uh, during that, that dinner and hear that conversation, I think that would be, um, I think that would just be an absolute highlight because I think. I mean, face it. She was having an affair with Harrison Ford during the filming of Star Wars. And he was still married, I believe, to Melissa Matheson at the time. So during the week, they'd be filming, and then she was having an affair with him. And then he uh, would go back to his wife on weekends. And, I mean, I think she had uh, three sons with her. So a lot of this came out, and he was very mad in these books that and, and that she wrote about this long after the fact, long after he was even broken up with her and remarried. But, you know, it would be interesting to hear the stories because she was on a different level. She actually liked to hang out with the, the crew members and some of the extras. She didn't care to hang out with George or necessarily Harrison or, you know, Mark Hamill. She didn't care to hang out with the leading actors. She hung out with, like, all the others, all the other people that would just show up that was, like, henchman number four. She felt more comfortable hanging out with the regular actors that were there. And that's kind of cool. Why? What, what would she get? What kind of stories would could she tell about that? So she was a much more interesting bird than most people give her – uh, credit for, she would even take in people that had, you know, later on in life that had drug abuse issues and that were, you know, trying to get back on their feet. She would bring them in. She'd actually put them in her own house and house them and feed them and help them get back on their feet. She would take in people she didn't even know. I mean, dangerous. And she would do this fearlessly. You know, this little five-foot-tall woman, she just... She was able to see the best in everybody and have a smile about it. And I feel like if I could have a conversation with her, it would be much more honest and it wouldn't be glossed over in a Hollywood interview style where it's it's all pre-written and pre-scripted. I feel like she would just tell it like it was. And that's what I would love to get. I think it would be an extremely rich and rewarding conversation. I think that the two of you would make each other laugh heartily. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think it's a perfect pairing, Robin. That, that's really a perfect answer. And then I think for any of us um, who grew up loving Star Wars to, to sit down and to have a, a meal with Carrie uh, would have been something really special. All right. One more question. Um, in one sentence, how would you describe your role in the community? In, the, in our collecting community? Mm. I have found that I have become a a segue for a lot of beginners to get into mm. the community. And, you know, I never think of myself as a female in the community. You know, like, even though in the beginning I felt like odd man out, there's a lot more women in it now. But I feel like a lot of collectors 
feel more comfortable asking me a question versus somebody else that is like an, like a male counterpart in the community. People come to me and they ask me, what is this worth? What do you think of this? I'd like to buy it. I don't know who to trust. You know this person. Can you help me find this? Can you do this? So there's a lot of people who don't, <clears throat> they don't have the knowledge of of, of, of basically, they, they, I'm just going to stick with a lot of people don't have any of the knowledge that it takes to, to really collect certain pieces. And I'm not saying they're expensive, but let's say they want to put together a play set. They won't even know what's missing. So I'll sit and I'll go, well, you're missing this, you're missing this. That one's in bad condition. That's reproduction. That box is in bad shape. It's missing the pop. So I'll go through it all, and oh, that's worth 100 bucks. And they'll go, oh, thank you, because the guy was selling it to me for 300 and I thought that was a good deal. And I'll, then, I, then I'll help them find it for $80. Mm-hmm. And I'll take the time, and I'll find it. Or I'll ask people that are selling stuff, could you help a friend out? Can you sell them something? Make sure it's nice. Can you, can you really can you do this? So people come to me, and I find that I am the intro into the collecting world quite often to help guide them and set them up and get them comfortable so that, and then they can make a little name for themselves in the groups, establishing themselves as maybe a buyer or a seller where they had nobody that backed them from the beginning. Nobody gave them a moment's notice. So I feel like I'm that warm and motherly breast, so to say, that <laughs> people come to. And I don't mind. It's not a big deal. I mean, I guess we all need, like, a big brother or a big sister. Yeah, I didn't have that. Because I, I grew up just collecting my whole life, going to toy shows and doing that. So this was my hobby. So it's not like I. And but I still ask people, like my friend Dennis Hall. I'll ask Dennis all the time. Dennis, what do you think of this? And he'll go, Ah, oh, that's the wrong baggie. And I'll go, That's the wrong box. That, that's the wrong mailer box. And I'll, and I'll be looking at the numbers on it, going, Oh my God, you're right. How'd you see that eagle eye? So I'll send him things all the time, and then he'll catch all these aberrant factors about it on something that I'll just, like, throw his way, and he'll tell me what it's worth. So I have my own bonus office in the collecting community also that I'll throw things at, and they'll come back to me. So we all kind of help each other out. It's funny. I think um, what what you said, as far as your answer, it it lines up with um, what I was thinking of you as I came up with the question and it was, you know, for me, like you've, you've always been a gatekeeper and I think there's, there can be a negative connotation with the the idea of a gatekeeper as somebody who decides kind of who can pass and who can't pass. And I think for me, what I've seen with you is that while we've seen some people in the hobby who have closed the door on certain people or will open it after a certain time, to me, you've always been the person who has kind of, chipped away at that wall, uh, open, you know, and kind of made your own little door and said, hey, um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're interested, come, come through this way. I'll, I'll help you. I'll kind of guide you in. Um, and I think that that has been, again, so important. And, and you're right. People do feel very comfortable uh, speaking with you. And I think it's because they can see your heart and they can see that you actually care. Um, we have a lot of people in our hobby like that, you know, which is a real blessing. Some of the nicest people I've ever met are in their hobby, um, and I would I would put you um, up around the top of the list. Why? Well, thanks. I uh, you you're the same way. You are so nice. You're, you're too nice. 
We're going to have to toughen you up a little bit somehow. We're going to have to do a fight with you or something. But, (laughs) you know, I shouldn't be talking about it, first rule. But I I feel like a lot of the guys that have been in this for 20, 30 years collecting are a little burned out because they've been talking about it ad nauseum for decades. And, you know, they don't have the time to go through which baggies should be with this. They don't have the time to go through which items should be in the box because they are over it. They they did that years and years ago. So they've kind of, you know, they're like the Bowmore monks. They've kind of transcended <laughs> that, and they're, they're on, like, another level. So while they're walking around Jabba's Palace in their jars and they're brilliant, then it's like I, I'm like – I'm like the I'm like Bib Fortuna who's like Iwanawanga and I'm the only one who's like left around to like go, Okay, well, let me let me let me show you around. So there's gotta be somebody there to help if there's nobody else. Somebody has to kinda help. That that's kinda what it is. And it's not like I asked, Hey, anybody has any questions, I've got hours every day to help you. It's it's not that way. It's just it 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 happened, and I don't mind it. I don't really notice it. I it it gives me a little bit of a, a purpose in the community if I can actually help somebody out. And then they get this item, and they're giddy and they're happy, and you're like, wow, I did that. I helped them get that, and I feel I don't know. I feel good if I can guide them, and they don't get ripped off, and then they got the item that they wanted even better than they wanted. And then they're happy, and then we're kids again, jumping up and down, showing each other, look what I got. I got this. <laughs> and it's fun. And if the other people don't want to do it, I don't mind. Because you know what? It's fun. It's, that's the whole spirit of this is the community of it. And a lot of the people that are coming in, you know, like, hey, I want to start collecting Star Wars. I'm like, well, you know, you're getting now in on a high, so you have to be careful. There's deals out there. But you have to have more patience now than ever for collecting. This is not like it was 10 years ago where you could buy carded figures for 50 bucks, you know, that now sell for 500. You know, now you have to really have somebody to help you because there's now a lot more fake items. There's things that have been resealed. There's items that have been tampered with. There's markups. Not everybody knows, and then they'll buy an item and then, then they get screwed, and then it'll turn them off, and then they're hurt. They're hurt. So you kind of have to help people so that there's more people that are in the community that are for it than are burned out and are, and get hurt and then turn away from it. And that that's I don't want to see that happen because that would be painful if it happened to me. And it makes it worthwhile to go through this this collecting journey with other people. You know, I, I think it keeps my mind uh, some fresh. Of the Oh, totally. I mean, because also you have to be on your game, uh, you know, to make sure that you know what you're talking about if you're going to help somebody. And I think that's that's a crucial point to collecting. Yeah, it really does. When somebody asks me, is this complete? And I'll be like, I think so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, nah, yeah, no, nope, no, nope, yeah. So then I have to suddenly go through and like a Jenga and make sure every single piece is there. And then it keeps my mind sharp on what goes with these items. And then it also helps me with pricing. So mm-hmm. I know what things are worth. So when I buy stuff, you know, I, I, I can buy them because I, I stay as up to date with items as I can. 
Okay, so now we'll get into, Robin, uh, your six stories. Uh, so what is story number one? Well, for cool things that really mean a lot to me, it's a little bit more of a recent purchase, and it was the Star Wars mail-away that was boxed. It came out in 1979. So while this was like a regular mail-away with the proof of purchases and like a few bucks from like all the card backs that you could just get in the mail, this was one that actually was sold at some of the department stores, and it was a special offer. But by the time... They wanted to get rid of these. It was like 1979, so they had extras left over, so they boxed them up, and by that time, other figures were out. So, for example, Greedo is now added to the roster of figures, and he's on the front artwork of this box, and he's listed as like a, a figure to collect for the stand. So that's really kind of cool because that kind of changes the history of like this collector stand when you see it and you're like, hey, wait a minute. So there's Greedo on the cover. So I think it's cool. They don't come up very often. Uh, no, they really don't. It's in decent shape. It's not fabulous, but I'm just happy to have it. It doesn't have to be mint. I'm just, I'll take the scraps. So I, I got it, and he's pretty good, and so I have him. So that's actually one of the cooler pieces that I'm always moving around going, where do, I, where do you want to be today? And so... <laughs> Exactly, and then I, I like look at it, and it's kind of like from uh, what, what, what's uh, what's the what? Wilson. It's like Wilson. He's my Wilson. <laughs> so I'll just set up the stand with me in the room, and we'll just have a whole conversation. And then I put the box back, and then I'm sorry, Wilson. And then the box falls. <laughs> do you, uh, so you have any interest? Is there any? Do you have any interest in uh, in going for the Empire Strikes Back action figure display stand? No, because they're going for like fifteen thousand and up. Gosh. Nope, it's not worth it. <laughs> I would love no. one, but you know, for that kind of price point, it's like ah, I don't think so. I and you buy know, a movie you might find one. Yeah, you might find one at a uh, at a show. Um, I was with Ian Sanderson. I think it was in maybe the fall of 2018, um, going to say either Columbus or Cincinnati, and he came across the Empire Stand, um, you know, and got wow. it for, for nothing. So, yeah, you never know. Uh, you okay. never know. Story. <laughs> yep. Story number two. You never know, but I know you're not, so there you go. So there's the answer. Okay. Story number two would have to be, I've always wanted, from Canada, there was a puppet of Chewbacca, and it's the ugliest, most stupid-looking thing in the world with the mouth open. It's all red. And it doesn't look anything like Chewbacca. I don't even know. It's like a Harry and the Hendersons kind of knockoff. It came out in 1978, and Regal Toys put this out as, as, a, as a toy. I don't know why. It didn't even take off. But, you know, it's this Chewbacca puppet that you put your hand up and the little mouth, and, it, and you feel like it's like a Muppet. And it's it like really five is. smiles, yeah. and it talks. So... <laughs> I have him, and he's got all the tags, and he's in nice shape. So it, I've always wanted it because I would see it every now and then in, like, a book or in somebody's cabinet, and I'd say, oh, my God, that is so horrible. I have to have one. So <laughs> now that I have one, I love it. I have him stuffed with uh, tissue paper and uh, beady little eyes and his, his bulbous little nose, and he's adorable. So I'm proud to say that's my number two. And it still has the tags, right? 
Yeah, both tags, two tags. Because, mm. I mean, a lot of times you see them without. It's very hard. That and the, the Jawa plush, it's very hard to find them with their tags. So. Yeah, I have a, a Jawa plush, and, you know, he's got his bandolier, and it's beautiful, and he's missing his tags. And at some point I'd like to get one with the tags also. But they just I, don't show up. I was with you the day that you bought that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and ever since then, I've seen them for about one-tenth of what I paid every now and then. I'm oh like, oh, <laughs> uh, that's about right. And I haggled for that price, and then I see it for like one-tenth that. I'm like, oh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> All right, story oh, yeah. number three. Story number three is my tri-logo Boba Fett. I'd seen this listing on eBay, and the guy had sold, like, three things. He had, like, a sales history of three items. And I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to be an interesting sale. So here's this, you know, trilogue effect that I'm following, I'm following, finally comes to the end, and I didn't win it. I'm the second bid. And I'm like, oh, oh, ah, but... I said, you know, I'm the message of the guy. Because I have a feeling that when somebody has low feedback, they don't always buy it. They, they decide they don't want to buy from the guy. So I messaged him saying, listen, if the guy doesn't pay you, I'm the, I know I'm the second highest bidder. Please sell it to me. Please offer it to me through eBay. And it was in uh, Amsterdam. So he's like, absolutely, I will. So like days go by. Days go by, and every now and then I send my message, hey, how you doing? Just, just saying hello. And then one day he's like, the guy hasn't paid. I'm going to give you the second offer. I was like, thank God. So, bang, I get it. So now here I am, been fighting for it, sweating it out. I got it. So, And, and this piece is I, so rare. I mean, it, it's, an, it's an ultra rare, you know, you're talking about a carded Trilogo Boba Fett. The figure itself is a different figure because it's a paler figure. It's an unpainted knee. So the painting on the figure is a very specific Boba Fett to begin with for, for, you know, the collecting world. So, and to have him in nice shape, you know, to get one, you know, with a bubble, bubble perfect, everything looks pretty darn good. I was like, oh, thank God. So I said, listen, you're not experienced with selling so let me tell you what you got to do. And he's like, okay, I'm all ears. I'm like, this is what you got to do. You have to protect the bubble. So you have to wrap it in cellophane, like a Reynolds wrap. And he goes, I don't know what Reynolds wrap is because he's an Amsterdam. <laughs> Mind you, I have a feeling he's translating all of these things I'm saying to begin with. I didn't, I, can, I cannot confirm that, but I'm thinking it. Sure. So you have to wrap it, protect it. And then you have to pack it in peanuts. And then you send it in a nice, you have to go buy a star case. So he went to a comic book shop and actually bought a star case to put it in. Finn. He listened to me to a T. And I was like, oh, this guy is awesome. Ah, man, when I get this, I am going to be the chisel. I have got, I've got, oh, yeah. So just as he's sending it off, he sends me a picture. And he goes, I, I, like, I send you right 
Here is pictures. I hope you're happy. Okay. <laughs> and here is a picture of the box. He's sending it in great. He showed me the star case wrapped in cellophane, packed in planter's peanuts, <laughs> like 50 pounds of peanuts, <laughs> all around it, everywhere, everywhere around it. And, and 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 I woke up in the morning to getting these messages. First thing in the morning is like, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. Ah! Ah! So, the that was so around loose, the world. Loose planters peanuts. Like he took, he, he bought a jar of peanuts. Oily and oily peanuts. <laughs> he passed with this thing. In the uh, star case. I said to protect the bubble. Yes, protect bubble. Peanuts. I, I, what was going through this guy's head that I said you had to send it with salted peanuts? I don't know. I said peanuts. So he literally translated it into peanuts. So he went and bought peanuts. So oh I have. I saw the picture saved on my phone of him packing with peanuts. And by then it was already mailed. And I was like, you know, I, I felt like Lando. This deal getting worse by the minute. And I was like, this is this is not going to happen, and it did. So then it finally got here like three weeks later. And I was like, oh, God, the oil's going to soak into the card. Ah, I'm just going to get like a loose bubble and a loose figure. <laughs> I open it up, I open it up, I open it up. I'm opening up in the car. Like I get it, like I had to pick it up at the post office. I get it. And thank God he had wrapped it in saran wrap. And he did. He wrapped it perfectly, layer upon layer upon layer. So the oil from the peanuts never seeped into the card. But wow. it had kind of smooshed the bubble a little bit because of the weight of the peanuts. Of course, because they were just banging around. So I, I, I messaged the guy, and I'm like, the bubble is dented. It's pushed in. And you pushed it in. And he was, oh, my God, I am so sorry. I, I, he said, you told me peanuts. So... I don't know that he was laughing or I was laughing. He ended up sending me back half the money. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That, that's what I said. Out of, like, an apology. And I was like, hey, man, I love you, man. That's okay. You can send it anytime you want. <laughs> peanuts. I love peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> so he nice sent back about 40% nice. of the, the cost of the money. And, of course, I'm like... Do you have anything else you want to sell? <laughs> and he says, I'm never selling again on eBay. This was the worst experience of my life. Oh, wow. I was feeling bad. Because he had well, a whole I'll bunch of you. other things that he had mentioned. I was I was itching to get to, but that, that ended up being it. So and it, it never happened? That's my final logo that came in peanuts. Wow. I remember seeing that when you first received it, you, you posted the picture on, on, um, on Bestman Prime, and Oh my gosh, I couldn't stop laughing. I mean, just just seeing it, you know, seeing that literal translation and just having peanuts inside what is an exceptionally rare and valuable carded Boba Fett figure. I uh, was just one of the sillier things that I've seen in in our hobby in a while. He 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 did exactly basically what I asked. He was <laughs> such a great guy and he went out of his way to listen to what I requested and I was so specific. And, you know, just it got something got lost in the translation and the guy I owe him I owe him a drink, I owe him I owe him money, I owe him something. I, I owe him and he just disappeared from the face of this planet. But I think the guy was like the greatest sport in the world and he was so good to me and helpful 
And yes, now I have a funny story that was extremely butt puckering when it happened. But you know, now now everybody can sit and now we can laugh about it now. But during the time it was going on, it was wasn't that funny. No, a thousand percent nerve wracking, totally. But a wonderful story. Yeah. Okay. Uh, story number four. Well, I have always wanted a. Lily Letty from Mexico, a 12-inch Jawa that came with a really, really green cape. And I had one that I had gotten from my friend Alex Party, and it was it was very faded from the sun because the dyes that they used when they made these the, the fabrics from Mexico were probably much more maybe organic, but they faded very easily. They they weren't as permanent. So the one I had was like beige, like a beige tan, khaki color. So what I really wanted was to get one. And uh, a friend of mine, Stephen Patrick, had one at a show, and it was perfect. And even had the little bead eyes, these yellow bead eyes, and the boots. And everything about it with the bandolier was so perfect, and the, the cape was so green. So I was able to pick up that, and he is so creepy and so exquisite at the same time because he looks like the, the when you go to like an artist store they have these like wooden dolls that you're supposed to put the clay on and mold from so they're very mm-hmm. basic looking dolls underneath and he's a very basic black doll with no face and these bright beads that are glued onto this black face and then the cape oh, that goes over it then so when you look at it it's like it's always looking at you, no matter where you are in the room. These little eyes are looking at you. So it's so beautiful. Now, eventually, I'd like to get a red caped one. Also, there's red also, and uh, eventually I will. But this green one is just because the green is my favorite color. So when I look at him, he's just so pretty, and nobody played with him. But now he's very valued in my uh, in my little cabinet. I look forward to seeing him next time I'm over. I, that that's a really it sounds like a really cool piece. It really is a cool piece. All right, story number five. Well, story number five is going to be a uh, screen used piece from Return of the Jedi, which is uh, now called Baby Nippet. So, it, if you remember back from the movie. When there was a baby in a basket that they were petting, they were rubbing the head, the little mouth was going and it's looking around, that is the puppet that I now own. And I was able to source out which figure it is, and that is actually considered Baby Nippet. I wasn't sold to the pop store as such, but through talking to enough people in the collecting community that have been able to give me information on it, which took months and months to to get to this is actually that figure so that's kind of cool but it's it's really big you know he's like 20 inches tall and inside he actually is open from underneath so you can put your whole hand all the way up and you can move his mouth and then the arms have these uh hard wires so you can move him around and they they kind of can be hidden so it made an animatronic version of of him to be able to move and interact. So, and the fact that I was able to win him from the uh, prop store auction 
is pretty cool. And I asked a friend of mine who was going to maybe be bidding on it to <laughs> please give me a chance for me to finally have, like, you know, an Ewok. And he was kind enough to hold back on bidding on it because I know he would have won it. And I was the lucky winner for it. So I appreciate the fact that he was willing to forego getting this item for his collection that I know that, you know, he would have enjoyed just as much as myself. But, you know, he's, he was, he's usually the one that goes after the things that I like. We sometimes talk about things ahead of time. It's like, what are you going to bid on? What are you gonna... And he bids on everything I don't really bid on because <laughs> his collection is incredible. But he gave me that one. So I, I do owe it to him. So, but it's just so beautiful to see this because as a little kid, you'd see it and I would be like, oh, and I'm 11 and, you know, you see this little baby Ewok and it's so cute. And like growing up seeing it and seeing it and having cards and having a button with its face on it and now you own it and you go down there and, and you look at them in the, in the cabinet and you're like, I, I can't believe it. I mean, every single time I see him, I can't believe He's here. So I'm I'm grateful beyond all measure just to have that one piece. If I only had one piece of, of prop prop history, I'm happy to have just that one. So yeah, really happy. That's that's really amazing. And that's you know, for a lot of us we um we haven't been able to either find one or to, to acquire a prop yet. Uh and so, you know, again the the fact that you have a, a true piece of history from one of the films that we grew up with is just amazing. Yeah, I, I am very lucky. I, I'm very grateful. Okay, and now the final story, story number six. Well, story number six actually is a piece that is not necessarily a valuable piece, but it's valuable to me because it was my Millennium Falcon that I had growing up. And that toy was always with me. It was you know, the container that I throw the figures in or whatever I was going to, you know, carry around for the day, I would throw everything in, put the top on, and then take off up the street to, like, friends' houses and play with. So a lot of the the magic of my childhood revolved around the Millennium Falcon because I was the only one who had one. <clears throat> we all kind of took part of, well, who has what? So I had the Falcon, and somebody else would have the land speed, and somebody else would bring, the, you know, the snow speeder or the X-Wing. And between all of us, we would have all, everything. And that was always there. So it saw years of my childhood with me, and it was carried with me for a very long time in my hands to carry, you know, all the little figures. So... That piece means a lot to me. I have other, I have all my pieces actually from growing up. I have all the ships, but uh, that one has particular meaning to me because I would have, as I'm walking up the street and I'm holding it, you know, I would start to say, okay, so now we're going to set up today and uh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. So I'd be making my plans by talking them out loud to myself to the Falcon as I'd be like walking and then walking up the hill and then walking up the driveway, making these plans. So they would be set up. And so having that all these years later and to still have it with me, it, it, it's really kind of cool because when I look at it, you know, I remember 
I suddenly remember things that I, I, I thought I forgot. And then it all comes back and you're like, you know, oh my God, I'm, I guess I am still nine years old. I guess I am still eight years old. I guess I am still, that 10 year old child is still here. I'm just an older version now that knows more, but you know, I'm still here and I can, I can still see it. So it kind of means a lot to me. Most people would say, you know, why do you, why do you have that in, in your cabinet? It takes up so much space, but it holds a special place for me, so I'm always going to keep it. I'll, I'll let go of a lot of other things, but that is something that I, I hope to always have. I'm glad you still have it, and I, I know how much something like that means, because uh, as a fellow collector, I mean, it, you know, these pieces, a lot of the pieces that, that you know, connect us to our childhood are the ones from childhood, and uh, and I don't think it gets really any more special than the Millennium Falcon. That's that's wonderful, and I'm glad that that's that's one of your top pieces. Yeah, it is. It it, it makes me a little like teary eyed, which it's, which is ridiculous because it's actually very hard to to make me teary eyed. But something like that is kind of like it holds so much because everyone I knew growing up was alive when that was there, and now you know people in my life have died, they're gone, and life has moved on, and. They were there, and they saw this toy, and they picked up this toy, and it was, like, passed along, and it was it was there for conversations and meals, and it was always there. It was always in the background of my life, and, you know, maybe a little piece of them is, still hangs on through through that toy, the, the voice of, you know, of all those years ago that echoed through the plastic. It still is there, so... Since it was there and it's still with me, it's it's kind of cool to have it. And the item that once carried figures now carries memories. Correct. Hmm. Robin, thank you for sharing these six stories, and and it just thank you for taking the time out to just have a, a conversation with me tonight. And uh, you know, I I always call you my space sister, and I, I mean that with absolute love. I just I love you so much, and I'm so glad that that we get to go on this journey and get to, to you know, play Luke and Leia, <laughs> you know. And, uh, we have this. And we it, have each other, and it, feel, it does feel good. It's so, it's so, it, I, I hate to be corny, but it, 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 in a day of things being so virtual and digital and fake, it feels, it feels so good, and it's, it's a real thing that we have in our life. And having each other to talk to, having each other to laugh about things, it's just, it's it's a nice, it's a connection that that's made of uh, flesh and blood versus just, you know, something else. It's 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 more real than the movies, and because of the movies, it actually is alive, and that life force is is all of us and our friendship. So, the movies are alive, and they 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 flow through us. <laughs> <laughs> It's late. I'm tired. I can't do it. I'm dehydrated. Um, My mouth's off. <laughs> you have no idea how much I love you. I'm I'm so glad, really, just that, that we get to do this. And I know right now, you know, we haven't. I think the last time we saw each other was at ToyCon NJ, uh, the, the the toy show, the local toy show here in New Jersey, back in October. And so it, it's it's been a while. I mean, it's, we're we're talking six months now, and. Um, so I know once everything starts to clear, I, I know one of the first things that we're going to do is, is meet up and uh, 
you know, hopefully at a, a toy show or at some sort of meetup or an event. But I just I miss you, and I'm I'm glad that we get to do stuff like this. I miss you too. You know, you can call me anytime you want. I might even take your call. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Every tenth one. I might. I'll just go, oh, God. <laughs> Does he want to borrow money again? You know? Uh, Robin, you're the best. Yeah, you are too. All right. Thanks for having me on, and uh, we shall talk again soon, okay? May the force be with you. May the force be with you too. Good night. Mm-hmm.